0: The following message is by Dr. J.R. Cuevas, pastor and elder at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. If you can turn your Bibles to... This is a famous, a famous portion of the Bible. It's a long portion of the Bible, and I'm, to be honest, a little bit nervous about preaching through it because of the sheer length of it, but if I'm going to do it justice, you have to preach this text in its entirety, Turn to Hebrews 11. And let me read, we're going to be focusing on verses 4 through 40, but let me read starting from verse 1. This is Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up as he was, being, as he was pleasing to God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about the things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for, salvation, for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man in him as good as dead and that as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promise, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country for which, from which they went out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendants, shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph in worship, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea, Though they were passing through as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish, along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith Conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two they were tempted they were put to death with the sword they went about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute afflicted ill-treated men of whom the world was not worthy wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because god had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect let me read the next three verses and then we'll pray therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, we look to the examples of faith. We look to this hall of faith and we see the men who have gained approval before you by their faith. And I pray that the faith that we'd see in them would be the faith that you would see in us and I pray for this hour, I pray that your Holy Spirit would unveil uh, the deep truths of this passage in a way that would compel us to live by faith and not by sight. We ask for your blessing upon this time, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've made uh, a lot of mistakes in life. My life is not perfect. I'm not perfect. Uh, I can't count the number of mistakes I've made. But one person who did I did share that with said, Well, there was one thing you did that was definitely not a mistake, it's you married the right woman. A prudent woman is from the Lord, and I married a prudent woman who has acted prudently, who said many prudent things, many profound things. And I remember particularly back around 12 years ago when she and I were... In the first year of our marriage before we came to San Jose and we were sitting in front of a dating couple that had just started dating and were considering marriage and the young lady who was considering whether or not uh, the young man was a suitable partner for her asked us what she should be thinking about when selecting a partner and considering him and before I opened my mouth uh, my wife opened up hers and said words that till this day are still ringing in my head. And she said, with total sobriety, with almost no emotion and looking straight at the young girl, but the person, the people who were listening were me and him and the young man. She said, my biggest fear as a single woman was that I would end up marrying a man who would waste his life And that I would be stuck with him. That was pressure on me. And I I remember thinking, well, I'm going to make my life, our lives, as exciting as I possibly can. Uh, It put a lot of pressure. It lit a fire that I had hoped would never be extinguished. Because deep down, nobody wants to be guilty of that. No man wants to be guilty of wasting his life and therefore the life of his wife as well. No one wants to live a wasted life. No church wants to be a wasted church. We want to live lives that matter. We want to live lives that accomplish. We want to have an impact. We want to live the lives as Christians that God uses to move this world in the course of redemptive history, amen? None of us want to waste our lives. Here's the thing. If that's the goal, if we want to live lives that actually are used by God to do the things of God, to accomplish the will of God, to move world history towards the redemptive plan and consummation of God. There is only one life that you, you and I can live. Because there is only one life that God looks at with favor. There's only one kind of life that has ever gained the approval of Almighty God. And that is, as Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, a life of faith. Without faith, no matter what you do with your life, no matter how much money you have, no matter how many children you have, no matter how many good deeds you do, no matter where you live, no matter what you do, no matter how smart you are, how gifted you are or are not, without faith, it is impossible, not improbable, it is impossible to please him. And what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. To live a life of faith is to say this. I am absolutely sure of the things that I have hoped for, that God has promised, that I have never seen. And I am going to live by what I have never seen, but that God says is true and that God says will happen. Only that kind of life, a life by faith, will please God And only that kind of life is what God is going to use to move this world. The only acceptable life in God's eyes is a life that is marked by faith. The only acceptable life that pleases God is a life that's marked by faith. Now, here's the thing. Even the demons believe that God is one, and they shudder. Intellectual confirmation of what the Bible says is not enough memorizing your bible saying that what you be, what you hear in the bible to be true is not enough knowing the truths of the bible affirming them to be true is not enough we are saved by faith and not by works when jesus said for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so whoever believes in him whoever trusts in him whoever has faith whoever lives by faith The righteous shall live by faith, will not perish, but have eternal life. But that faith looks like something. If you truly have faith that you're saved by, apart from your works, that faith is going to show up in a particular kind of life. There's a particular nature about a person's life that's marked by faith. So what does faith look like? And we need to know what faith looks like so that we can actually walk in faith. And the danger is this that we, th- we think we have faith, we say we have faith, and our life and everything that we do actually betrays it, and we don't have the favor of God. The only way to live favorably before God Almighty, who has the power to send people to heaven and hell, is to live a life by faith. So what does faith look like? What's the portrait of faith? What does faith accomplish? What's the kind of power that you have through faith? What does faith endure? And we have Hebrews 11 here to show us that by faith, Life looks like a particular life. To live by faith means that we live life a certain way. By faith, men of old gained approval. There is, I mean, you read through the Old Testament, and there is absolutely no one except for Jesus who's perfect. One sin after another. One failed life after another in terms of God's holy standard. But by faith, by the way they lived, the men of old gained approval. So what does faith look like? And you see three elements in Hebrews 11. Number one, you see the portrait of faith. Number two, you see the power of faith. And number three, you see the price of it. The portrait of faith. What does faith look like? What does it resemble? The power of faith. If you live by faith, what does your life accomplish? What should your life accomplish? And the price of it to live by faith, if you are to live by faith what are you called to endure and persevere through and he gives in the first part as we go through the portrait of the portrait of faith he gives 11 examples and i will go through all of them hebrews was originally given as a word of exhortation this was a single sermon that took about probably 50 to 60 minutes to preach through but i'll take about 50 or 60 minutes just on this one chapter and look at these 11 examples, and you ask yourself right now in this first part, does my life look like this? When people question, am I really living by faith? Am I really trusting God? Do I have the faith that saves? Ask yourself as we go through these 11 examples if your life looks like this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. The first sons of Adam and Eve inherited their sin nature. How did Abel gain favor before God? And Cain did it. It's simple. He offered the firstborn of the flock with its fat, and he did it by faith, believing that the death of that animal would atone for his sins. Abel already knew that there is a reality that in order for him to live, someone or something else must die and offered up the sacrifice. And by that, when God looked at Abel's sacrificed that. He took the best of his flock and killed it and gave the best portion of God, believing that that death of that animal would save him, believing in the atonement, I cannot earn favor with God unless someone or something dies in my place. And God looked at that and looked at it favorably. By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. It was a private event. There was no one else around. But although he is dead, think about this. A life of faith. Talk about a legacy. Though he is dead, he still speaks. That is how loud a life of faith sounds. And then you get to Enoch. By faith in verse 5 and 6. By faith Enoch. Who, unlike everybody else, lived and lived and died. And lived how many hundred years? And died. And he walked and lived how many hundred years? And died. Then you get to Enoch, and he did not die. Why? Because Enoch walked with God. Walked after the unseen God. Enoch had never seen God, but he walked with God. He preached the truth of God as a preacher of righteousness. And because of that, God rewarded him by not allowing him to die. And that, maybe not in the physical sense today, is still true that those who walk by faith and not by sight, who walk according to the God that they do not see, but that who they know is true, will not die, but have eternal life. Enoch walked by faith against the grain of society, against the grain of the culture. He sought the presence of God continually. He sought the promises of God continually. And in verse 6, it describes Enoch's faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, and this is what Enoch did, he who comes to God must believe that he is, you believe that God exists no matter what this world tells you, you believe that God is who he said he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. To live by faith means that even in the reality of your sin, You walk with God knowing that God will reward you by believing in him. And you do not fear death because God has promised that the man of faith will gain approval before him. And Enoch, when no one else was doing that, walked with God. Then there was Noah. By faith, Noah being warned by God, not by people, not by the weather, not by the forecaster, which is always wrong by the way, not by your Apple maps, your Apple weather report, being warned by God even though he had never seen a flood. There's a question of whether or not he had ever even seen rain. Being warned by God, and though it wouldn't happen for another hundred years, in reverence, not in anxiety prepared an ark for which salvation of, for which the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith." How do you do that? How do you have the staying power to do that for a 100 years to build an ark on dry land to prepare for a flood that you yourself had never seen and no one in the history of humanity at that point had ever seen happen? It's because he took God's word for what it is believed it to be true, and acted upon it, and he built that ark exactly the way God said to do it. That is faith. It showed up. I grew up at the base of, growing up in Hawaii, I grew up at the base of the Cocoa Head Volcano Crater. And why did we live there? It's because by the history of what we'd seen, that volcano hasn't erupted in how many hundred years? In fact, if you look at Wikipedia, it says it hasn't erupted in 3,500 years. 35,000 years, actually, which we know is not true based on the fact that God created the world. We believe in young earth creation. But we lived there with the understanding that what we had seen remains true. Now, Noah lived by faith that something would happen because God said it would happen even though he nor anybody else in human history at that point had never seen it happen and he did not look at God and say that's never happened why am I going to build this ark on dry land I can't even build a bunk bed right for a day and not get upset Noah built the ark for a hundred years having never seen a flood on dry land when no one else wanted to join him and he did it in reverence because he understood that when God says something is going to happen it will happen by faith he trusted in God and not on his own understanding acknowledged God in his ways and built the ark exactly as God had called him to build it with no alterations and because of that he became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith God looked at Noah, who was a sinner, and looked at him and said, because you believed, you are justified. Not with reluctance, not with anxiety. Again, he had never seen a flood, but in godly reverence. There is a big difference between building a home out of anxiety and building an ark out of worship. When you take what God says to be true no matter what world history says, no matter what anybody says, and you act on it in complete, uncompromising, 100% obedience. And then there's this longer passage now with Abraham. By faith, Abraham, oh, this is hard. By faith, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place. He moved. He relocated away from his family, away from the safety of his tribe. And God said, I want you to go. And he had never seen it. It says he went not knowing where he was going. We can't even go to a restaurant without looking at a Yelp review. And here's Abraham being called to go to a land that he has never seen. He doesn't know what it's like. He doesn't know what the people are like there. Go leave your family. Go leave your tribe. Go leave your father's household and go move because I'm going to create a nation out of you. And Abraham got up and left his family and left his tribe and he moved. We like to go places only when we know what that place is like. I'm not saying we have to be reckless with our lives, but the reason why Abraham was commended for his faith was he didn't go out of recklessness. He didn't go out of rebellion towards his household. He went, not as an outcast. He went because God himself spoke and he believed and he went. And by faith, and what was the consequence? Because Abraham never actually got to see The promise fulfilled, as God had said. He never got to see Israel grow into the nation that it did in that promised land. It said, by faith, he lived as an alien, not as a citizen, without the rights of that land. He lived as an alien in the land of promise, in a foreign land, dwelling in tents. He lived without citizenship. He lived without a home. But he believed. That God would make something out of that. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so when God said, I will give your people this land, and so you move there, even if you never get to see it happen, Abraham believed and he moved. And then God said, In your old age, you're going to have a son. And Abraham, it said, believed. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so in verse 11, it says, even Sarah herself, in the Greek, it's literally received the power to lay down the seed. So that's actually speaking, I believe, of Abraham's faith. By faith, Abraham received the ability to lay down the seed in Sarah, impregnate her, and she conceived, and they considered him faithful who had promised. When the world says, and your understanding of human nature and human biology says you cannot have children, and God says, you are going to have a child, and from him will come the nation, and you believe, and he believed against what human nature said. Noah believed against what the weather said, against what world history said. Abraham believed against what nature said that he would have a son. They struggled. Sarah struggled. Had Abraham a child with Hagar because she didn't believe. And God said, no, your heir will be Isaac. It'll come from her, even in her old age. And he believed. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. All these died in faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob died in faith, not having received the things promised, having seen them, having welcomed them from a distance. They never actually got to see it. But they died believing that though they're not going to see it, that it will happen. If they had been thinking of that country by which they went out, if they kept looking back and thinking, "Well, was so much better when we were back there, or we had citizenship, or we had homes, or we had family, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Abram, Isaac, and Jacob lived by faith through this. Their eyes were set on eternity. Therefore, when you consider that, we're all sinners who have sinned against the holy God. But when you live by that kind of a faith, when you believe, though you haven't ever seen it, and you act on it, though you haven't seen it, you believe it because God said it, therefore, of all the people in the world, in verse 16, God is not ashamed to be called their God and he was known as and introduced himself to Moses as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob this is the most immense commendation that you can get as a person that God is not ashamed he is unashamed to mark you out as his because though you were a sinner, you bring honor to the almighty God by the faith that you show in him when you live by the conviction of what you have never seen, by what you know is true, and you are absolutely assured of what you hope for that you have yet to experience. That's faith. And when you live by that kind of faith, no matter what you've done with your life, no matter where you are in life, God is not ashamed to call you God because you are the person who brings honor to his name. He is not ashamed to call you God. And as if that wasn't enough. Now I want you to think about this next part if you're a parent. After God had promised Abraham that your son Isaac will be the one through whom the nation comes. Before Isaac ever even had children. Think about this. By faith, Abraham in verse 17, when he was tested, offered up. Isaac. Now, can you imagine that. Where God said it's through this one that the nation's going to come. He has no children yet. And God says, "Kill him now." And Abraham took Isaac and believed the Lord will provide and put Isaac on the altar and took the hand up and was about to slay his son. And the only reason why it didn't happen was because the angel stopped him. Why? This goes against every parental instinct. Who would want to do that to their own children? And it goes against all logic. You're thinking, God. If the nation's going to come from him, he needs to have children. How is a dead person going to have children? Have you ever seen a dead person have children? He had never seen it. God's saying, offer him up. In other words, kill him. And so Abraham could have been thinking, God, I can't do that. Because dead people can't have children. If I kill him, he could have argued with God and logic with God. If I kill him, the nation will not come. But why why was he willing to do it? Because he knew that God was able to do what he had never seen, which was this. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. Abraham had never seen a person come to life like that. But he was willing to slay Isaac because he believed that if God said, if God said that he is going to have a nation through him, if God said that Isaac is going to have children and only living people can have children and God told me to slay Isaac then the only way this is going to happen is after I kill him God is going to bring him back up from the dead and he believed 100% that God can do the impossible and the unthinkable and because of that God said I now have seen that you fear me more he believed it and he showed it. And that's why faith shows up in work, which is why James said Abraham's faith. He believed. He believed, but it showed up. When was the last time we did anything like that? By faith, Isaac. You remember Isaac, when he was on his, close to his deathbed, and he was blind, and he wanted to bless his favored son, Esau, And yet Rebekah deceived him by having Jacob put animal hair over him and cooking the same thing Esau was going to cook. And Isaac inadvertently, by accident, blessed Jacob and said, you'll be master and all the relatives I'm going to give you as servants. Isaac made the blessing. Isaac made the decree. And then Esau came and said, didn't you intend to bless me and Isaac in faith? Took it that even though this wasn't my choice. I trust in the sovereignty of God that this is who God has chosen. And we get that commentary from Hebrews. By faith, not by resignation, not in hopelessness. By faith, Isaac invoked a future blessing on Jacob and Esau. In other words, the way he gave the blessing, the one who he gave the blessing to was by faith. He did it in a way that was contrary to his initial desire, contrary to culture. The firstborn didn't get it. He gave it to Jacob, and he didn't reverse it because he believed that that was God's choice. Then by faith, Jacob, who knew? I mean, think about Jacob. Had 12 different sons with four different women. That that is not a model of family life. But by faith, when God said, you are now no longer Jacob, you are Israel. And from you and from your sons, by faith, Jacob believed that all 12 of those sons, because God said so, not because he deserved it, because God said so, He's by faith, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over his head. He blessed everybody, knowing that God would make a nation out of all of them. He believed that God would bless all of his sons. Not one of them would be left out of being part of the nation of Israel. He firmly believed that a curse would not be upon them, though he had sinned so many times. Jacob's life, in that sense, is not worth emulating. He was a deceiver. He was an adulterer. But he was commended by God not because of his perfection. He gained approval by God because of his faith. And by faith, we go to verse 22. Now we consider Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, and Joseph had spent the first part of his life with his family, was sold into slavery, first to the Midianites and then to Egypt, became the head servant over Potiphar's household, acted righteously but got imprisoned for it, and then interpreted dreams, and then became the ruler of Israel and became prosperous. And so Joseph understood, think about this, he understood the prosperity of Egypt, the power of the Egyptian empire, and the power that he had as a ruler in Egypt. And yet, at the end of his life, and by the way, people tend to tell the truth when they're about to die. At the end of his life, He made mention of the exodus of Israel. The exodus. How did Joseph know that was going to happen? Because in Genesis 15, when God told Abraham, who told Isaac, who told Jacob, who told Joseph, who taught Joseph oral tradition here. In Genesis 15, 13 through 14, God told Abraham that Israel, his people, that nation would be enslaved for 400 years in the land that was not theirs, but that they will come out with many possessions. There will be an exodus. And Joseph gave directions concerning his bones and he made the nation of Israel swear that when you leave this place, don't keep me buried here. Take me and take my bones with you and bury it in there because you are going to make it there you're not going to drown in the red sea when egypt tries to get you they're not going to overcome you god said he's going to take you out take my bones with you i want to be in canaan joseph believed by faith and trusted in the certainty of a future fulfillment that he had yet to see that went against the political trend at that time and then there was moses's parents By faith, Moses in verse 23, after 400 years, or in those 400 years, Pharaoh became intimidated, became insecure with how Israel was growing, how the Hebrews were growing, and he enslaved them. And then eventually, because they continued to grow and multiply, which God promised, he made an edict to throw all the baby boys into the Nile. The murder of babies is not new. And it is embarrassing that Christians will try to defend it by faith. Moses, in verse 23, when he was born, now think of his parents, was hidden for three months by his parents. Why? Because even though they didn't resist enslavement, Moses' parents were slaves. They didn't resist it. They didn't rebel. But when they saw that the child was beautiful, when they saw... That the child, Moses, was beautiful in God's sight. That this child did not deserve death, but deserved preservation. They were not afraid of the king's edict, and they hid him for three months. They heard and faced the edict of the king to kill a baby, and they, out of faith, said, no. By faith, Moses, after he grown up in royalty, with the best education at that time, in Egyptian prosperity, what would he do? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused, this was a choice, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Choosing rather. It was a choice. Faith chooses things. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God. In other words, I see the slaves, the Hebrews, I see the prosperous ones, the powerful ones, the Egyptians, even though I can. I will endure and I will associate with the people who God called me to associate with, namely the Hebrews, because God said that I was going to be their deliverer. He associated and chose to be with the people of God and endured the ill treatment rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, the tarnished reputation, the reproach, the persecution, the outcasting that he would get of following God greater than the riches of the treasures of Egypt. Moses looked at power and money and by faith said no. And by faith, even though Pharaoh said no, by faith, because God said so, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he had endured as seeing him who is unseen." The way Moses lived his life, the way Moses took them out of Egypt, was as if he had seen God face to face, even though he hadn't. And that's how faith lives. By by faith, Moses obeyed God, even if it meant facing the wrath of the most powerful political person in the world at that time. And by faith, he kept the Passover, sprinkling blood. Moses had never seen anyone survive something that catastrophic by sprinkling blood over the doorstep. But by faith, Moses heard God's instructions and said, if you take the blood of a lamb, which you have never seen before, and put it over your doorstep, and the doorstep of every person of the house of Israel, that you and your family and your firstborn will be spared while everybody else would die. And as the catastrophic event happened, that's exactly what Moses did. By faith, he kept the Passover, sprinkling blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them and by faith they were preserved and by faith as they i mean you think about that after they got out of egypt and they're now by the red sea we're not dolphins we can't swim like that we can't survive there egypt is right there we don't have an army because we've been slaves for 400 years what are we going to do and so the egyptians as they're there and they're going down ready to take on Israel, Israel looked at Moses and said, did you get us out here just so that we could die? And God said, watch what I'm going to do. Put your staff in the Red Sea, when was the last time anyone put anything in the Red Sea and made it open up? It had never happened before, but God said to do it, and Moses did it. And by faith, they passed through the Red Sea, knowing that God would keep it open for them, but he would close it up on the Egyptians. They passed through the Red Sea as though it was passing through dry land, and the Egyptians who tried to follow them were drowned. By faith, they made it through. Trusting, Moses trusting entirely in the power of God for deliverance And redemption, never looking backward, only looking forward, believing God would do something he had never seen that was humanly impossible. And by faith, after Moses led them through the wilderness for 40 years, and then after Joshua was commissioned and brought them into the promised land and their surrounding Jericho with those walls, I have never seen a wall drop by a trumpet. When we did construction here and we tore down things, I don't think Pastor Bob had people blow trumpets because that's not how we tear things down because walls don't come down by sound waves like that. But God told him to do it. Surround him, march around him seven times, blow those trumpets by faith. Joshua didn't take things into his own hands, didn't use his own methods. He listened to what God said, went with God's plan, and by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had encircled for seven days. And then by faith, Rahab did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She knew that God was behind them, that God was behind the Israelites, and she welcomed them, and by faith, She and her family were preserved. You let those 11 examples of faith speak for themselves. The only question is, does your life now look like this or not? There's a common denominator with all of them. Their lives didn't look exactly the same, but there is a common denominator, and it's this. They believed in what they had yet to see. And they went for it out of total obedience to God, total trust that God will come through with what he says he's going to do. They were, they were ordinary people. They were sinful people through whom God did radical things and pressing circumstances because they lived by faith. That is the portrait of faith. But not only what does faith look like, what, does faith act, what can faith actually accomplish? If you live a life of faith, what kind of things... Can God do through you? For the people who lived a life of faith, what kind of things did God do through them? And he said, What more shall I say? For time would fail me if we went through every single character of faith in the Old Testament, we'd be here till we'd be here till next week. Time would fail me if I told of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, the judges, in other words, right? Though they had a different role, judged by faith. The monarchs, the good monarchs, like David, like Hezekiah, like Josiah, and all the others in Judah, ruled by faith. The prophets, though they faced persecution, spoke by faith. Each of these men had different roles. Each of these men in Israel's history lived by faith and walked by faith. And so what did they do? Through them, what did God do? What is faith capable of doing? who by faith they conquered kingdoms men of faith were not afraid to do what was big because they knew that God was bigger by faith they enforced justice by faith the men of faith the women of faith were not afraid to do what was right and stand up for what was right they enforced justice they didn't give into the hypocrisy and the corruption of the world even when there was pressure Because they knew that they stood before a just God. By faith, they obtained promises. This is all in verse 32 and following. Men of faith were not afraid to grasp and hope in the the face of disappointment. So many times, we just don't want to do things because we're afraid to be disappointed. But by faith, even in the face and the prospect of disappointment, these men obtained promises. By faith. They stopped the mouth of lions. When Daniel was indicted for rebellion because he worshipped God. And the threat was if you continue to worship God. You will be thrown into the lion's den. I I don't know anyone who's ever survived that personally. Or who can. And Daniel in the face of death continued to worship. Stop the mouth of lions. By faith. His friends quenched the power of fire. That's what faith does. With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when Nebuchadnezzar said, if you do not bow to me, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, we need not to explain ourselves. Because God is able to rescue us from the fire, though you haven't seen it. But even if he doesn't, we are not going to do it because their hope is in a heavenly reward. And by faith, They quenched the power of fire in the face of death, saying, We will worship God and only God. And by faith, men escaped the edge of the sword, supernatural rescuing. David, who continued to evade Saul as he trusted in God, though for 30 years Saul tried to kill him. By faith, they were made strong out of weakness when God told Gideon, You are going to defeat Midian with an army of 300. And that's it. And he did it, and they were made strong out of weakness. By faith, they became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And God reminded Israel that the reason why I have chosen you is not because you're, it's not because you're powerful. They were not the most powerful military. But by faith, God fought on their behalf, and they were able to put foreign armies to flight. By faith, Joshua conquered 31 kings. And himself never died. And by faith, women receive back their dead by resurrection. Women of faith were not afraid to hope in the midst of that kind of tragedy. When a child dies, and the grief that that produces in your heart, and when these women heard that their child would be raised from the dead, and they were not afraid to hope, in the midst of that kind of tragedy. This is a lot better than the, than the American dream. People just don't live like this anymore. Remember what William Carey said, you expect great things from God, but you have to attempt great things from God. So why do our lives look so boring sometimes and it's probably because for a lot of us it probably it's because they are and why are they it's because we're not willing to risk Anything, faith produces courage. Men and women take risks. They don't just play it safe. They don't look for statistical probabilities before obeying God. Even in the face of the improbable, they live out what God says to do. They're not reckless, but they are risky. Faith courageously is willing to take risks for the Lord because it's always going to be rewarded in some way, shape, or form. Faith is not overwhelmed by the world. Faith overwhelms the world. And so up to this point, you and I and all of us, we need to ask this question. When you see that faith does this, I'll read it again. And just read it in one piece. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, received back their dead by resurrection. Up to this point, what have you done with your life? And what are we doing with our lives? Does it look like this? Is God doing things like this through us? It's good to raise children. It's good to raise children to be polite, to be respectful. It's good to provide for our families. It's good to keep our our homes clean. It's good to go on vacations. It's good to spend time with family. It's good to pursue education. It's good to eat at nice restaurants. The world does all these things. And if that's all we want with our lives, if, that, if that's all we want to do with our lives, if your ambition is just to be comfortable, just to be happy, and just to be safe, then we can't live by faith. We're going to look just like the world. We make our lives a whole lot smaller than it's meant to be. Living for the kingdom of God produces or it requires this kind of risk. And so when people say, you know, not about what you do. It's just about who you are. That's not entirely true. What you do matters. What you're willing to risk, what you're willing to attempt, what you're willing to give your life to in the face of persecution, in the face of danger, matters. And the only way to see that kind of power that we saw here in our lives is to actually step forward and do it. And so the other question is is not only what are we doing with our lives, but what has God used our lives to accomplish up to this point? It doesn't mean we have to go look to be big people. We can do ordinary things that result in something extraordinary like when that woman, like Mary in John 12, when she had faith in who Jesus was and what he was about to do and took her bottle of perfume. And poured the whole thing on him. And Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, so is her story. She didn't think it would be. That's a legacy. By faith, we know that story. A life of faith will stand out. People in the world don't live like this. You don't see these kind of things happening through worldly people. And our problem sometimes is not that we think there's so much happening in our lives That we're so busy, we're so stressed. The truth is sometimes the problem is there's not much happening. What is God doing with us? What is God doing through us? What do you want your life to look like? What do you want God to accomplish with your life? By faith, what has God shown? If we were to take our lives and plaster what God has done through it, are people going to be encouraged that though it was in the face of the world, God came through? And we don't have to plan how to make our lives big. That just happens when we live by obedience. One day, one hour, one minute after another. Because we understand that when God says something is true. And when God says to do something no matter what anyone says. By faith we take his word for it. And we do it. Imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus. When angel Gabriel said, you will conceive a son in your betrothment. Imagine the kind of stigma that would bring to her as she was engaged, betrothed to Joseph, that all of a sudden she's pregnant. And she said, In faith, I am the bondservant of the Lord. Believed, accepted. You know, if you're a wife of if you're a wife who's married to a man of faith, isn't it incredible how just nerve-wracking he makes you all the time? Like what John Piper says, I pray for God to prepare my wife for the next decision. And if you're a husband of a wife who has this kind of faith, is it not amazing how stupid she makes you feel all the time? How convicted you feel by your worldliness when you look at her and how she places her faith in God and puts up with you when your faith is lacking. This kind of faith is radical. When you believe in the God who you have never seen, like in First Peter when it says, though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you don't see him, you believe in him, and therefore you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. When you live like that, when you hear the word of God, and you obey everything you see in God's word, even when it doesn't look safe, even when it looks improbable, even when everybody says not to do it, that kind of life will stand out, and you can imagine what God's going to do with that kind of a life. That is the power of faith. Faith looks like a certain thing and faith is used by God to accomplish certain things. So what does your life look like and what has up to this point God used your faith to accomplish? But not just that. Here's the last one. You have to know not just the portrait of faith, not just the power of faith, but also the price of it. By faith... It's not just about what God was able to do through you. By faith, men accepted what God ordained to put them through. By faith, others were tortured, beaten to death. For them, being alive in heaven was worth so much more than being alive on earth. Whoever wishes to follow me, Jesus says, must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Others experienced mockings and scourging, emotional abuse and physical abuse. They were willing to do it because they believed in the reward that was coming. Also, chains and imprisonment, they were willing to be deemed, even though unjustly, as criminals. By faith, they were willing to follow God, even though that would mean that everybody would look at them and say that you are a danger to this society. They suffered the loss of rights, a tarnished reputation. By faith, others were stoned, like the apostles, like Paul, like Stephen. They were sawn in two, like Isaiah. They were put to death with the sword, which is still happening today. The man who translated your Bible into English was burned at the stake for doing that. By faith... They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, having no money. By faith they were willing to have no money. Afflicted, ill-treated. But look at this. Men of whom the world was not worthy. When you have this kind of faith, your value is so high that a world that is this dark and this broken and this corrupt does not deserve you, is not worthy of you. So God will give you another home, heaven. You are so valuable that God will make you a home that is not in this world, that that is not worthy of you. But are we living lives, are we enduring such things that makes the world not worthy of us? By faith, they were wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. By faith, they forever had to go on a hike without a home. Living by faith comes at a cost. Whoever wishes to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus said it. Whoever wishes to follow me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and even his own life cannot be my disciple. No one can follow me who is not willing to give up everything that he has and take up his cross. Like one famous theologian said, salvation is a free gift that will cost you everything. Faith, men and women who live by faith, who know that because of what Jesus did on the cross for them, believe in a heavenly reward and what is to come though they have never seen it, will never feel entitled to what this world has to offer. They have great expectation, not in this world, but beyond this world. Their minds are set on the things above and not the things below. A life of faith is willing to endure anything for the sake of God's word. It doesn't give up when it's opposed. It doesn't give up when it's tired. Faith does not give up when it's stressed. Even Paul said, I, we are dying every day. Pressure. How do you concentrate? Like how do you prep a sermon like that? There's stress. Faith faith doesn't look for a stress-free life. Because stress-free and pressure-free lives don't produce anything. Faith doesn't give up when it's hurt. Faith doesn't say, I've had enough, I've endured too much. This is too much. I don't ever want to get hurt again. Faith is willing to get hurt over and over again. Faith doesn't give up when it's disappointed. It's willing to keep hoping. Because he who believes will not be disappointed. God said that. You will not be put to shame. And you have the eager expectation that Christ, if you have faith in him and live by that faith, that Christ will be exalted in your body even by life or by death. For to you to live is Christ and to die is gain. Faith doesn't give up when it suffers the loss of earthly wealth. Faith doesn't care about the wealth that it gets from the world. Faith says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. It looks beyond this world. It looks for the goods. It looks for the treasures that this world cannot offer. To live by faith is to look forward to your death, because that's when you transition into eternity. And you'll finally gain what God has promised faith is willing to do something here when it gets nothing in return because you know that the reward is coming faith is this when you believe that god is who he is and that he will reward you for seeking him even if you don't get it here abraham knew there was a heavenly city waiting He never got to see it, but he never went back to his homeland because he knew the reward was coming. And the same went for Isaac, the same went for Jacob. We'll wander around in tents as aliens in a foreign land because a heavenly city is coming. Faith doesn't give up in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution. Faith doesn't look at God and say, I've lived my whole life for you. Why are you making me suffer? And therefore, if we insist on a life that doesn't ever have to endure these things. We can have that life. It just won't be a life of faith. Because even Jesus said, remember that man who said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. If you follow Christ and faith, because you believe, like those apostles did, that you have the words of eternal life, that you are the bread of life, that you are the light of the world, you will have no place in this world because you don't belong here. Faith knows it doesn't belong here. Faith doesn't have the goal of staying safe, of never encountering danger. Because faith knows that anything that produces death in this world only brings you and ushers you into eternal life that God has promised Not because you earned it, but because Christ earned it for you. And faith looks at yourself and sees your sin. And faith looks at the death of Christ and says, that's enough. That is enough for me. The work is finished and is willing to follow him, knowing that when you transition into eternity, having gained nothing from this world, and as you're accused by Satan before God that you are a sinner, undeserving of heaven, that you'll be able to say, because of what Christ did for me, and because I followed him and placed my faith in him, into the heavenly city, I'm ushered. You believe by faith that what you read in Revelation 21 and 22 is for you, and you will be there. What kind of suffering are we willing to endure for that. And then he says this, all these all those Old Testament figures having gained approval, God saw their faith and justified them, they gained approval, but they didn't receive what was promised. They didn't see the Messiah come. Why? Because God would not give them the promise right there and then. He would wait until We got to experience it. We are looking ahead to the same promise as them. That's why it says, because God had provided something better for us. The same Christ who they were looking to is the same Christ who we look to. The same work of Christ that they looked ahead to is the same work of Christ that we look backwards to. And therefore, the same promise that moved these men and women to live the way they did... The promise of Christ, the promise of salvation, the promise of eternal life in a heavenly city is the same promise that's been given to us, that we live for, and that's why... With so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding you, we need to live by that same faith. Our lives need to match up with them because we have every reason to, because the same promise that they lived for that produced that kind of faith is the same promise that we've been given, that will be given to us, and therefore by the same kind of faith we go after it. And we have even more reason. They never saw Jesus. The death, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus for them was a prospect. For us, it is history. And therefore, the same eternal life that they strive for is the same eternal life that we strive for. The heavenly city that they were yearning for was not given to them because God reserved it not just for them but for us so that we might strive for it together so that Apart from us, they would not be made perfect. That they would not experience the fulfillment of God's plan without us. Their faith cooperates with our faith. And therefore, we have every reason to live in the same way, with the same kind of faith, with that same portrait, with that same power, and endure the same price, and pay that same price, because the promise has not changed. So Hebrews 11, then, is not a list of exceptions. That's a list of examples, and we follow. And so, as we close, take your life up to this point and put it next to theirs and ask yourself, does it fit? If it does, and for many it does, We keep going. And if it doesn't, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles you. And with endurance, run your course of faith. And just like them, just like them, looking. Fixing your eyes, not on what you've lost. Not on the suffering you might endure, but fixing your eyes on Jesus, just like they did. The the author and perfecter of faith. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. And you consider, just like they considered him. You have the same Christ, the same spirit, the same promise, the same word. And in fact, more of it. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Does your life in its portrait fit into this hall of faith? If it does, keep going. If it doesn't, let it be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these examples, these portions of scripture that teach us, that instruct us, that lead us, that compel us to live by faith. We thank you that though, in the midst of our imperfections, we're unworthy of the promises you've given. We thank you that the finished work of Christ has ushered us into eternal life. And I pray that that faith that we have in him would be an effectual faith that would produce a certain life that would bring honor and pleasure to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray, Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.